Welcome to AIJ Cast, a podcast featuring conversations and performances at the intersection of art, inspiration, and justice. I'm your host, Marthame Sanders. On this episode, part two of our conversation with T. Grandstaff. T. is a designer and an entrepreneur, and she spoke to us from her home here in Atlanta. Let's talk about Dope and Domestic. Yes. You've mentioned it already, but I would love to hear more about Dope and Domestic. So Dope and Domestic, the name in and of itself. So everything I do, if you haven't noticed, is very intentional. So we have Kinsoul Collective, and I kind of broke that name down a little bit. So Dope and Domestic is this intersectional meeting point of, of the multifaceted woman that I was just describing to you. Mm. The woman who may look or sound a little bit more hood or a little bit more street, but who's also educated and smart and a formidable businesswoman and a mother and is doing all of the domesticated life things that we, Mm. that we think of when we hear that word. And so it was my way of saying, this is the chair I'm pulling up to the table now. And this is the seat for people who are dope and domesticated because I want everybody who, peruses the website who hears the name i want them to think about what that means what am i saying with that that word domesticated is loaded particularly in an american context yes yes very intentional yeah (laughs) so dope and domestic as as an offshoot of the kinsoul collective brand is where i'm able to introduce the pieces that really bring the home together so i'm taking my design experience and Uh, an opportunity in the market that I saw, which is a lot of people come to me for, I think I'm known for what I would call as maybe Afrocentric or a little bit more tribal in nature, aesthetic designs. And so a lot of my client base comes to me and they'll show me an image that I've already done or through word of mouth, they know that's my forte. And they'll say, I want something like this. And so for the past few years, I've been creating a lot of designs centering around that aesthetic, but it's been really difficult for me to source products that are of the diaspora, but are actually coming directly from the black and brown artisans and where they're being fairly paid and fairly credited for their work. Mm. So I was like, if I'm having a hard time finding it, I know other people are having a hard time finding it. So Dope and Domestic was created um, as an avenue for me to be able to retail and sell products that are literally made by artisans by hand. It helps to keep tradition alive. So these are people who are living, some of them in villages, overseas and they're literally carrying tradition on by the act of making. Mm. So it supports that ancestral lineage that I spoke about a few moments ago. It also allows me to create spaces for black and brown artists that are close to me, proximally, who are here, whether it's in Atlanta or just the continental US, who like me, are maybe leading with the passion and leading with the creativity and don't really know how to cultivate that into a space where they can become sustainable. Mm. So it's just me trying to provide a platform and an opportunity for them to get their work out there. It's like, I've created the foundation. All you have to do is do what it is that your gift is. Mm. Do that thing. Do Mm. that thing. 
So Dope and Domestic is a, it's an e-commerce website. So you can shop on the website for handcrafted products from black and brown artisans, like I said, locally and abroad. We also have, um, we do artist collaboratives. So every other month or so we bring on board a new artist for kind of a pseudo residency. Mm -hmm. So it's not a full takeover, but they basically are able to be an exclusive um, partner with us for 60 days. And we curate a collection of their items that are exclusively retailed through us. Mm. Within that collaborative engagement, we also encourage the creator or artist to pick a charity that is meaningful to them, perhaps that speaks to the work they do or that that in one way or another is important to them. And we agree to donate a certain percentage of all of the sales and revenue from their particular collection to that charity. And what that allows us to do is to be more open-ended and and cast a wider net as far as the impact we're making. Mm. Because I have things that are near and dear to me, but that doesn't mean that they're the same as what is near and dear to you or anybody else. And so the goal is that we continue to make impacts, not just within our own sphere, but also the other spheres. It makes the ripples go out further. Can you give us an example of one of these uh, folks that you've highlighted of late? Maybe it's one that comes to mind, the kind of art they do, the kind of philanthropy that was part of that as well. Absolutely. So right now we have an exclusive collection from a photographer, a phenomenal portrait photographer based out of Miami. Her name is Passion Ward. Uh, And when I was looking to bring a photographer on board, I really wanted to find somebody who authentically and accurately depicted our culture because I think that our representation is um, it's it's packaged to suit other narratives a lot and so I wanted somebody who was able to give us a very raw expression of what black and brown culture looks like especially in a city like Miami where the disparities are perhaps all the more glaring Mm. so we have Passion Ward Uh, we have six of her exclusive prints that are absolutely phenomenally beautiful and then coming up we'll have another so she is i would say maybe she's a multifaceted artist but uh she is making polymer clay handmade earrings to raise awareness for mental health Hmm. in the black community and so the charity that we partner with for that particular artist who hasn't her, her collaborative is coming up within the next few weeks. Um, those proceeds will go to serving black mental health matters and different um, avenues that, that will really provide that type of support. So mm. it's, it's something that we keep open. It, it wouldn't matter if you were a textile artist, if you are a photographer, if you're a musician, it's, it's open in terms of what your artistry is. And that, again, is really just so that we can cast a wider net and just make sure that we are broad hmm. in terms of how and who we support. That's great. T, would you read the, it's kind of the, what I would say the mission statement of Dope and Domestic is? I sure will. Yeah. The Dope and Domestic Tribe is made up of all the incredible, beautiful, wild, free, and unconventional disruptors of traditional domestication. We are the twerking mamas and the transgender papas. We are the women and the non-binary, the immigrants and the aliens. We are the tattooed and the shaved, the hairy and the nude, the stretched marked and the tiger striped. We are the educated and the street smart, the hood and the professional. We are defied stereotypes, broken curses, and generational healing. We are mistakes, we are second chances, and we are lessons learned. We are brothers, sisters, friends, and neighbors. We're black, we're brown, we're kindred, and most of all, 
we're dope as fuck. Yeah. I, I tell you, it's amazing to me when I, when I read that, I don't necessarily see myself in there, and yet I found it very powerful and moving and speaking to me on a deep soul level. So it, it to me is, I, you know, words fail me, but I would say it looks like the, the kingdom of God. Mm, that's beautiful. I think it's interesting how you don't see yourself in there. And, and when you point that out, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I could see that. And I think it, it's kind of a given that yourself in, in the body and existence yeah. that you described earlier, it's a given that it, it feels like you're always included. Mm. You're always included in all the spaces. And so I think what I did was I just called out the names of all the people in the back, yeah. all the people who haven't been included, because we know you're here. Yeah. We know you're here. Oh, yeah. you know I, built you're the, here. I built the table. <laughs> yes, yes. I'm not just so. at the table. It's my table. <laughs> yes. Yeah, right. Yes. So, so I was kind of, you know, symbolically saying, hey, yeah. all of you back there, this has come up to the front. I'm talking to you guys. But, you know, that's interesting to hear because it was not. And I know that you know that it was never meant to yeah. exclude one or the other. But, yeah, it was definite. It was a definite call out for the people who very rarely see themselves anywhere. Well, what we're talking about in essence is kind of white fragility and male fragility and all that great stuff of like, but you didn't say me. Yes. And it's like, <laughs> do we really, we've said only you for yeah. so long. Are your feelings really hurt? <laughs> yep. I, I love the way that we talk about and the way that you talk about how you're calling out the people in the back and saying, come on up. Mm-hmm. And it's, it resonates with me with something that I have heard time and time again, particularly in this year and particularly as I have gotten more connected with folk who are actively engaged in the work of black liberation and queer liberation, which is my liberation is tied up in black liberation. Mm, mm-hmm, my liberation mm-hmm. is tied up in queer liberation. And within the context of blackness, it's that traditional African sense of Ubuntu, Mm-hmm. I am because we are. Yes. And that communal, that collective, that extended family sense is a reminder of, yes, if I really, as a straight white guy, want to be free, then I need to be part of the freedom of everyone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I, I see that reflected in that statement as well. Absolutely. In in the understanding of what oppression is mm. and in the understanding of how oppression must be carried out, you cannot oppress without carrying a little bit of that weight. You cannot oppress without exerting that force. Mm. And so you're always going to be tied up in the oppression in the same way that you'll be released yeah. through the freedom. Uh, in terms of, of design and, and how that relates to that sentiment. If we look at the experience, whether it's a commercial space, so we're talking business or home, it doesn't matter. If we look at the experience of what it's like to exist in in a day-to-day life where there's no thought or consideration for the quality of your life, it's just, are you alive? Do you get to live today? Do you get to see tomorrow? And understanding that that's an experience that's been passed down from generation to generation to generation. So you have people who their only concern is survival. They don't know 
experientially what just peaceful existence is. They don't know. Being able to come into a space, whether it's a business or home, where that's been the narrative for people, and just to shift that just enough so they say, hey, not only can I live like this, I deserve to. Mm -hmm. And we're not talking about giving people million dollar homes. That's not what functional design needs to look like at all. I, as a matter of fact, have never designed in a million dollar home ever. Uh, not since I've been on my own at least. Yeah. Uh, we're talking about basic standards of functional conducive living and the type of change that that can prompt in somebody's life and the way in which the branches of that change extend into so many other things they do. When I use the word conducive, it's because I'm trying to describe how your environment must support what it is that you're trying to do. Mm. It has to be conducive to the end result. So I'm focusing a tremendous amount of my effort on people who live in communities that have not been conducive to what they deserve, who live in homes that have not been conducive to what they deserve, who've been educated in systems that are not conducive to what they deserve. And I'm trying to change that narrative just a little bit, just a little bit. And I'm focusing on the places where we dream Hmm. and where we love and where we reset and where we go to feel safe. Because I think at their core, those are the places where we find our belief in ourselves, mm. and we imagine all the possibility that exists for us. So if you can be in your home or in, you know, if you're an entrepreneur and you just opened up a brick and mortar and this has been your life stream and you've toiled for years just to be able to get a loan in a, in a world that doesn't give you loans, mm-hmm. doesn't give people like you loans, to be able to be in that space and look around you and feel through the energetic shift that is created through functional design, that it supports the work that you're trying to do, that it reinforces the value of the work that you're trying to do. It changes the way you move, mm. changes the way you love, changes the way you parent, it changes the way you friend, you partner, everything, mm. everything. So I feel like there is a tremendous amount of power in the work that I'm doing that does exactly that, that reverses many, many generations of not being valued, of not feeling like there was opportunity Hmm. that we were deserving of. And it's something that I don't know that a lot of people have correlated yet. Mm -hmm. The way that your environment, when when we put it in the context of interior design, people are like, oh, it's a luxury. But when we put the word environment in the context of school systems and neighborhoods, we understand how that affects everything you do. Sure, yeah. When we put the word environment in the context of underfunded communities and government housing and poverty, we understand the weight of it. So I'm taking that a notch further and I'm saying, instead of just giving us places where we can survive, we deserve places where we're thriving. T Grant staff on AIJCast. We'll be back with more of our conversation in just a moment. But first, a quick word. As always, I encourage you to visit the AIJCast website, AIJCast.com, where you'll find links to our artists and to their news, events, and products. You'll also find links to our social media there as well. Obviously, the effects of COVID-19 have hit the artistic community hard, especially those artists who rely upon live performance. And just as a reminder, if you click the shop link on our website, you can see their links to a number of products that our artists have for sale. 
And we here at AIJ Cast have not been immune from the effects of COVID either, specifically when it comes to the economic effects. We have had to shift fully into an online model of interview, even for our guests that live here in Atlanta. And so that has required us to send professional recording equipment and has raised our production costs quite a bit. As a reminder, you can always support our work. Just go to our website and click on the link that says support. And of course, you can find out information about all of these things and so much, much, much more on our website, AIJCast.com. And now back to more of our conversation with T. Grandstaff. We pick up talking more about T's design work. Do you have an example of a space that you can think of that that is an example of, of work that you've done that, that's transformative in the kind of way that you aspire to? I'd like to think overall, all of the work that I've done. Um, <laughs> and, and that's really, that's not the easy road answer. That's an honest answer because I'm sure, going down, yeah. you know, my roster of projects that I've done in the last year. And I've done work on a commercial space for a black woman business owner who was venturing out and getting her first brick and mortar. That's huge. Mm -hmm. I've designed for another black female entrepreneur. Uh, I did her first home. She purchased her first home. She was the first person in her family to be able to do that. And then was able to also flip that into another stream of revenue for her. So I did an Airbnb for her as well. I wasn't able to complete this project or I haven't completed yet, but this is one of the ones that stuck out the most to me. I had a client contact me about six months ago and she was one of nine foster children Mm. and was the first person in her family to purchase a home. Mm. And she wanted her space designed so that she could have her family over to sit together in one room on a couch that they owned for the first time. And I like had tears in yeah. my eyes due to her own timeline and the things that happened. We, we didn't actually get to execute on that project or I should say we have not yet. It's kind of on the back burner at the moment, but that was incredibly meaningful yeah. for me yeah. to, because I'm not even a homeowner yet. So like I, the level of respect that I have for somebody saying, I finally did it. Yeah. I finally did it. And I was one of nine foster children. These are people that traditionally don't get to have the conversation of interior design. That's not a privilege they feel like they've ever had. I don't have a single client who I haven't been their first experience with a designer. I don't have a single client who before me was able to say, I can, I can have an interior designer. I can do that. And in the same ways that we as black and brown people, you know, recognize at a certain point in time, hey, we need to be aware of our health and how we eat. We are more susceptible for certain conditions environmentally because of healthcare prejudice and, and food deserts and all of these different factors that go into it. Now we can look at the black and brown community and say, clearly we've seen they embrace the gym and personal trainers. But I remember as a woman, a single mother, 10 years ago, 12 years ago, for me to fathom a personal trainer, I'm like, what kind of rich lady do you think? I can't afford that. But now we can prioritize our self-care as a community because we've given ourselves permission to. We've given ourselves permission. That's beautiful. So tell me about the social media impact of Dope and Domestic. Uh, So I've been very blessed to be able to cultivate a phenomenal community, which you've noticed I refer to as the tribe, uh, over the last 10 years or so on on Instagram. Mm. And that's really the only social media that I use. But 
I've been able to amass about 30,000 followers on Instagram. Wow. And for years and years and years, people have been asking me to create a YouTube channel. Um, but I've been a little bit hesitant and reluctant. Uh, I just think that platform overall doesn't always support creators of color. Hmm. And so it was important for me to be able to own my voice and own my creative voice and really just retain control so that I could make sure the portrayals that I was giving were accurate representations of our culture and our community. Mm. Um, so when I created Dope and Domestic as an extension of that uh, social media presence I have, it was really in response to the overwhelming request for that type of community and for that type of space. And so along with being an e-commerce platform, a place where you can shop for sustainable goods, it's also a communal space for knowledge sharing and a communal space for, um, you know, the accurate representation of what relationships look like in the black community and what mm -hmm. family looks like. And although that is a very dynamic presentation, sure. I wanted to create a platform where those stories and those voices and that love and those families were being shared for us by us. And I think, you know, I have these lofty ambitions. I look at things like the empire of Martha Stewart or even what Joanna Gaines has built and the creative control that they've retained over not just their product, but their story and their brand. And I think that's so important to create a space like that for black and brown people where we're accurately represented and we feel safe to have conversations that are near and dear to our community and our experiences. So, um, you know, I really look forward to the ways in which I think dope and domestic can and will grow to something so much bigger than what it is now. I know you and I have talked about, and I, it, it's always interesting to me to try and find the right word here to talk about faith, spirit, sacredness, uh, uh, some stuff that, goes beyond the material. Mm -hmm. And you and I do not share necessarily the same language or practice in that regard. But I would love to hear you talk about how, for you, whatever that word is, whatever that looks like, that transcendent sense, that spiritual sense, whatever it is, connects to the work that you do and the art that you create and mm -hmm. the life you live. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I say often, and I, I feel it's a little bit of a cliche statement. I'm sure you've heard it many times. You're smiling, so you probably already know what I'm going to say. I, I, I can probably <laughs> predict what it's going to be. Yes. I, I, I do not subscribe to organized religion as it is, but I am very spiritual my belief in in greater and bigger and higher and however whatever adjective you want to use my belief in something other than me in this physical form is strong i probably have my my concept of god and i do use that word mm. but i believe i'm a goddess mm. i believe we all are bits and pieces and fragmented reflections of the omnipresent what God is. Mm. So I don't know that I would subscribe to God as one entity or one person, but I definitely believe that in my understanding of God as it is, I am part of that. I am God. And I think that it's important that we return to that knowledge and understanding and just the intrinsic value that comes from that. Mm. As far as what that looks like in the work that I do. I, I, a lot of times I'll describe my design process as intuitive. I've been interviewed for a couple different magazines and they'll say, what is your process like? And I'm like, well, the honest truth is that I get into a space and sometimes I close my eyes mm. or maybe I'm led to 
touch the wall or maybe I want to sit down or maybe I don't need to do any of that and it's just an automatic download. It's just a very intuitive process. And so if I look at my belief that I am godlike or I am a facet of what God is and I understand in, in the physical manifestation of the work that I do that I'm intuiting I'm intuiting it sometimes I don't like I had a client once one of the most popular designs that I've done we painted her living room floor to ceiling atomic orange and it's one of my favorite designs I've ever done but I literally was sitting in bed I had already started her project hadn't painted yet but everything else had been ordered and I was like I feel like we need to paint your walls orange and she was like I had a dream last night that we painted my walls orange so that kind of thing happens a lot often with almost all of my clients where they'll be like how did you know that and I always I don't I don't know I'm a conduit Hmm. I'm just receiving this gift the gift of being led the gift of the message whatever it is I'm just receiving it so for me to say that my spirituality, my connection with spirit, with God, with the universe, that's the word that I use often, I guess, in place of Mm. what some people might say is heaven. Um, The universal presence in my life exists in everything that I do. Everything that I do. Even the way in which I describe the importance of design in understanding that everything around us is matter. And that means that everything is really, this is not a solid table here that my arms are resting on. It's bunch of tiny little particles and bits of matter and so it has its own vibration its own energy its own frequency so I work with the energy of spaces and I manipulate the energy of spaces through the things that I bring into the spaces but it's because of the spirit it's because of the intuition it's because of the energy that I execute with and I think that is one of the things that makes me exist outside of the realm of traditional interior design. Mm. I design spiritually. Mm. I design energetically. I don't just put things that look nice in a space and I won't, I won't do it. I won't do it because that's not how I work. So to say that, you know, the influence of my spirituality exists in my work is absolutely factual in everything that I do. T, if you had, advice for our listeners, whether it's uh, some piece of wisdom that you return to again and again, or if it's something that our conversation has sparked, what might it be? Oh, there's so many of those. I think one of the most important things that I carry with me often, and going back to what I said to you earlier, in terms of speaking to the younger me or creating messages I feel like would be important for the younger versions of myself, I remind myself a lot don't let fear lead you. Don't let fear lead you. It's okay to acknowledge it. It's always going to exist. But there were so many moments in my life as a creative, as a parent, as a black woman, that I was worried. I was scared. And I didn't do things because I was worried about what the repercussions of that would be, or that there wouldn't be, that the fall from the lack of an opportunity would be too far. And so I just didn't take the step. Had I had somebody to tell me 10 years ago, hey, I know you're scared and that's okay. Just don't lead with that thing. Don't lead with that emotion. Lead with possibility because it exists. One of the most important things that I've been able to do 
and to pass on to my children and really anybody who dreams big is to remind people that the world and everything in it exists in your perception. Everything that you see, everything that you feel, everything that you know exists in your perception. So if you believe, if you believe that you can, if you believe that you will, if you believe that you should, then you should, you should. So again, I just think it's incredibly important to acknowledge fear, but never let it lead you. Cause I think that it, when you do it, it's closing the door on yourself. T. Grandstaff, thanks for being on AIJCast. Thank you. T. Grandstaff on AIJCast. You can find out more about T's work at kinsolecollective.com and at dopeanddomestic.com. On our next episode, author and scholar Marie Marquardt. AIJCast is made possible through the support of listeners like you. It is only because of your support that we are able to thrive. And so I do invite you to take just a moment, really no more than that, and go to our website, AIJCast.com, and please click on the link that says support. And we do love to interact with you on social media. We are out there on a number of platforms where our handle is, not surprisingly, AIJCast. Our music is written and recorded by our house band, Mard Fame. And we are engineered, mixed, and produced by the somewhat tenuous Al Mudif. Al is an avid member of his gym, and he has this very simple tip for how to master the bench press. Understand the weight of it. And I'm your host, Marthame Sanders, encouraging you to go, rather stay put, create some beauty of your own, and remember that the world is not truly beautiful until it is beautiful for all. Peace and justice.